Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Travelcast, episode 197. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Great show for you folks this week, full of mystery and intrigue. And we're going to start things off, like usual, with a hundred-word Drabble appetizer. Drabbles, of course, are stories 100 words in length, and the name of the game around these parts. We're always looking for good ones, so why not take a stab at one and send it in to Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called Who Done It, and it comes to us from Jeff Johnston. Jeff is a 47-year-old correctional officer that lives in Toronto, Ontario, with his daughter, fiancé, and their two cats. At the best of times, he says, their home looks like a Toys R Us exploded. Jeff collects and restores old radio shows, and likes to write and edit Wikipedia articles, because they, like Drabbles, are the perfect form of reading and writing for someone whose ADD usually kicks in at about the 100-word mark. The stench of fear had been steadily building, and now it hung over the room like a cloying mist. In the hallway, the clock bonged loudly, breaking the silence. Several people in the room started at the sound, and then shuffled uncomfortably, while others looked about with open disdain. The clock, having chimed the hour, resumed its muted ticking beyond the door. Everyone was just settling back into their seats, when the pacing detective suddenly whirled, his finger pointing accusingly. The butler did it, he exclaimed triumphantly. The liveried servant cringed guiltily. Grouse, Jeeves, whispered a maid through pinched nostrils. And our feature story this week is Death Comes But Twice by Mary Robinette Kowal. Mary's the author of Shades of Milk and Honey, which came out last year from Tor Books. In 2008, she received the Campbell Award for Best New Writer and has been nominated for the Hugo and Locus Awards. Her stories have appeared in Asimov's, Clark's World, and several years' best anthologies. A professional puppeteer and voice actor, she lives in Portland with her husband Rob and a dozen manual typewriters. Visit her website, maryrobinettekowal.com, for more information about her fiction and puppetry. Also, look forward to her novella, Kiss Me Twice, coming out in the April issue of Asimov's. The story is read to you by Larry Santoro. Larry's a writer of dark fantasy, urban horror, and magical realism, and also a frequent reader on the really fantastic Starship Sofa podcast. Track Larry down and more of his work at LarrySantoro.com. Okay then, without further ado, we bring you Death Comes But Twice by Mary Robinette Kowal. My dearest Lily, forgive me. 
I would be with you now rather than closeted in my study, but I do not wish you or our children to witness my demise. I love you. I tell you now so that you will know that my last thought was of you. I've placed my affairs in order. Do not fear, my love. You will be well provided for. All that is required of my remaining time is to explain the events which have led to my death. Though the scene will seem so similar to my elder brother's death, I would not wish you to think I had taken my own life in the manner in which Edmund took his. When Dr. V came to see me some weeks ago, he brought with him the bottle of strychnine that now sits empty upon my desk. He was in high spirits because his latest alchemical experiment had been a success <laughs> and brought the strychnine in order to demonstrate the efficacy of his elixir. In truth, his very presence could be considered proof since he had been dead earlier that morning, but as I had not witnessed his revival, he wished me to see the results firsthand. At his request, I summoned the chambermaid while he prepared a syringe of strychnine. I thought he would ask her to procure a hen or some such thing for use in his demonstration. However, when she arrived, Dr. V plunged the syringe into her arm with no warning. I leapt from my chair before I could do more than cross the room. The strychnine took effect with results that horrified me. Even though I had complete confidence in Dr. V's elixir, I could not restrain a cry of dismay as the chambermaid's head tilted back in a sudden convulsion, her lips tightened, giving her the appearance of laughter, and she dropped to her knees, clawing at her throat, her back arched, pitching her over so that she lay with only her head and eels touching the carpet. We waited some ten minutes to be certain of the chambermaid's demise before Dr. V felt confident in proceeding. With the second syringe, he then dosed her with the elixir that his years of experiments had created. As we waited for it to begin its work, he told me somewhat of his own journey into death. He had asked his assistant to bleed him quite literally dry, he had chosen this route because he wished to experience the moment of transition between life and death, and hypothesized that a slower death might accomplish this. I marveled that he'd been willing to trust another with his own life, for the elixir is only effective at reviving the dead, not at preventing death, you see. Without his assistant, Dr. V would have been unable to revive himself. Indeed, I was surprised that he had been willing to undertake death at all. He scoffed at me. <laughs> I could hardly restrain myself, so great was my interest in what lay on the other side of the veil. <laughs> his face took on a rapt look. You will marvel, sir. I promise you that. Then, at our feet, the chambermaid convulsed. It was as if the strychnine were exiting her system in reverse. First, the rictus of her lips relaxed, 
Then the bright flush faded from her cheeks, her back unbowed, and her eyes rolled in their sockets. She held her hand to her breast, and her eyes started from her head, staring around the room. Dr. V helped her rise, although he acted as if nothing more untoward than a swoon had occurred. I asked if she were well. She nodded, dropped a curtsy, almost on the point of fleeing from the room. Dr. V stopped her with a raised hand and asked whether she had dreamed anything in her swoon. If possible, her eyes grew wider. Lord, sir, but didn't I have the strangest dream? There's a light what I was going toward and angels all round me. And my mum, I saw her waiting for me. I fought. But I tell you, my heart stopped at her words. What could she be describing but the path to heaven? The chance to see that with my own eyes and yet to return to you and the children seemed as if it were a gift from God himself. I dismissed the chambermaid in a daze. And here, I must pause my narrative to ask that you settle a sum of 50 pounds upon her family. And then I turned to Dr. V. You must tell me of your other trials. As always, he took delight in my interest in the scientific pursuits. Well, my assistant took the journey yesterday by way of a shot to the heart. Prior to that, our trials on convicts included strangling, drowning, beheading. By Jove, that reanimation was a sight to see. His eyes narrowed as he marveled at the memory. When the elixir took effect, his head slid across the table to rejoin his body. (laughs) I have confidence that it will be effective on natural death as well. And, And did the convicts see heaven? Indeed, (laughs) they did not, he smiled. But I hope that by giving them a clear view of what waits for them, they had the opportunity to repent before their scheduled executions. Oh, what a gift this is! I went to him, my hands clasped in supplication. And would you allow me to experience this as well? (laughs) My dear fellow, that is precisely why I have come. After your years of patronage, how could I not offer you this chance? I considered the empty bottle of strychnine on the table. I I think the memory of Edmund made me turn toward the dueling pistols on the mantel. I have wondered what his final hour was like and what led him to take his own life. Though I could never hope to understand his reasons, I could, thanks to Dr. V, experience my brother's last moment. I explained my wish to Dr. V and received his assurance that it was entirely safe. (laughs) How absurd that sounds. To describe firing a loaded pistol at one's temple as safe, and, and yet it was with great excitement that I loaded the pistol. At Dr. V's suggestion, I removed my coat, waistcoat, cravat, and shirt, lest they be stained with my blood. Then, after barring the door to my study... 
I lifted the pistol. And to my surprise, Dr. V stopped me by taking the pistol from my hand. He bowed. Forgive me. I nearly did you a disservice by avowing to the safety of this endeavor. Suicide is a mortal sin, he said. I would not wish you to visit the depths of hell. The nobleman waved away my grateful thanks and placed the pistol against my temple himself. I have the barest memory of an explosion of sound, and then... Then, my dear, quite simply, I was dead. I hung incorporeal in an unearthly glow, surrounded by souls drifting to what must have surely been the gates of heaven. I I cannot do justice to the sensation of serenity in that place, but it is the only thing I have to offer you as comfort. I moved toward the light, anxious to see as much as I could before being pulled back to my body. But before I could move perceptibly closer in that vast space, I felt a tugging. The glow faded from my sight to be replaced by a searing pain in my temple, and then that faded as well, and I opened my eyes. Dr. V leaned over me, his face split in a grin of delight. I could hear fists hammering at the door of the study and raised voices demanding entrance. Chuckling, Dr. V said, I apologize for reviving you so precipitously, but I fear the gunshot has aroused some excitement in your staff. You had best let in your butler. He seems to think you are dead. (laughs) I laughed, for had I not been dead? And yet... I returned as though I were Lazarus. I stumbled to my feet, staggered to the door. For for the first moments, my body felt heavy and uncomfortable, as if I were a child wearing my father's greatcoat. I am certain that Jarvis thought I had lost my mind as I appeared half-dressed at the door so soon after the sound of a gunshot. My hair was disheveled. My manner must have been as though I were drunk. I placated Jarvis with reassurances, feeling some guilt as I remembered that it had been he who had found my brother. When I sent Jarvis away, Dr. V showed me the splintered panel where the shot had lodged after passing through my head. The sight astounded me, and I, and I shook his hand full of hearty congratulations. He shook his head. My work is not over yet. <laughs> the elixir only works within the first hour of death. You see, I am uncertain if it is because of some flaw in the potion or if a soul cannot return once it has passed the gates of heaven. Dr. V joined us for dinner, and you must remember our glee. The only thought in my head was of how to tell you. I wanted to offer you the same gift as I had received, and I thank God that I did not. At the time, you could not have understood the full import of what transpired next. I hope this account will inspire you to forgive my ill humor over the past fortnight. The messenger who arrived during our dinner carried the news of the death of Dr. V's assistant. 
Imagine my horror when Dr. V shared the contents of that message with me, for his assistant had died of a gunshot to the heart 24 hours after his first death had occurred. Dr. V raced to his assistant's side with the elixir, but he was too late. The formula had no effect on this second death. He had arrived too late. Although I found it incredible, it seemed that his assistant had so longed for heaven that he chose to return to it. It did not seem as fantastic a denial that evening as it seems when I set the words down on this page. At the time, my corporeal form seemed to chafe against my soul, and each noise or odor was a reminder that I had seen the glory of heaven and left it behind. My own form seemed loathsome. Well, the next morning, shortly before breakfast, Dr. V sent a warning. The wound from his bleeding reopened. He was barely able to staunch and cauterize the flow. This reopening occurred 24 hours after he had his assistant open his veins. Thereafter, he visited the jails and found that all of the convicts, save one, had been executed less than 24 hours after his experiments upon them. That one had received a stay of execution, which he had not enjoyed because he had drowned in his own cell. The coroner was at a loss to explain how this could be, since there was no water in the cell. You understand now? This elixir of Dr. V's works upon death, but only for 24 hours. Every day for the past fortnight, I have died at precisely 2.43 in the afternoon. Jarvis has stood by me with the elixir and raised me from the dead. But the weight of flesh upon my soul becomes more of a burden with each of my returns. I long for the gates which I glimpsed so briefly. The time spent with you and the children has filled me with joy, and I stole every minute I could to be with you today. Forgive me, my love, but I cannot continue in this in this half-life any longer. Jarvis will not revive me today. My only fear, one which I will not know the answer to until I have crossed over, is that I do not know where I will find myself when I cross over this time. By choosing not to be revived, am I committing suicide when I die today? But the study door is locked. Jarvis is without, and my temple has begun to ache. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not
Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. What lies beyond? Maybe nothing too bad. Maybe nothing at all. Probably worth waiting to find out, though. Hey, if you enjoyed this week's show and you want to help us keep going, we'd really appreciate your money. You know, you can donate as easy as pie is able to donate by hitting up Drabblecast.org and clicking the support options. It helps us out immensely. Trust me, we're quite grateful. Grateful to folks like our kick-ass donor of the week. Daniel Yaffe. Daniel lives in Sydney, Australia with his wife, Victoria, and their two boys, Alex and James. He harbors a deep resentment for all the assorted reptiles, koalas, wombats, and numbats at the Taronga Harborside Zoo that get to see more of his old timber sailing yacht than he does. Wait, what the hell is a numbat? Seriously, that continent pumps out new weird-ass animals like the U.S. prints money. Numbat? Listen, Australia, Scrabble only works if there are combinations of letters that don't make words. Either stop printing new animals or just start calling them all Leo Bugger. Yeah, how are you going to tell them apart then, you ask? Just point. Like, that little bugger there. It works, I'm saying. Thanks, Daniel. After your years of patronage, how could I not offer you this chance? Strychnine on the house. You're welcome, buddy. Alrighty, moving on. You folks at home know Drabblecast's associate editor Matthew Bay, right? Here's a promo for another podcast he's involved with, Revolution SF's Roundtable. We need to tape a promo, guys. If you had to encapsulate the Roundtable in one catchphrasey kind of way, what would you say? Rampant Glickery? Or Donculus? <laughs> uh, let's not go with Shrek. That, 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 you know. The first okay. one was good. The second one was great. After that, it kind of, you know. Guys, guys, promo. Stay on topic here. Okay. Stay on topic. Stay on topic. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm going in. Stay on topic. Stay on topic. <laughs> topic. Red leader, I'm, I'm, no, I'm sorry. Stay on topic. I can't say it. It's up to you, Red 5. Oh, God. Here's the promo, so, Luke. Promo. <laughs> the Roundtable. Brought to you by Revolution SF. Tough love for sci-fi. Available at revolutionsf.com and iTunes. Worth checking out. All right, final order of business here, 100-character story time. Each week, of course, we select a winner for our ongoing 100-character story, or twabble, contest, and tweet it out from our Twitter feed, at the Drabblecast. This week's winner, Algernon Sidney is dead, with this in here. A dead battery made David very late to his anger management seminar. Happily, none of his students' wounds were fatal. Good times. Write one yourself. Post it in our discussion forums. You might be next week's winner. Alrighty, that's our show. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell any of it, but feel free to share it all you like. Spread the weird. Special thanks this week's awesome episode artist, the always delightful Philip Pomfrey. And we'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, something called a schnarf bat that I just made up but probably exists in Australia, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, the butler did it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.